Hello, everyone. Welcome to Timing is Everything, How to Leverage Sales Enablement to Capitalize on Buyer Intent, a podcast from CG Life. My name is Chris Connor. I'm the producer and host of Life Science Marketing Radio, and I'm also honored that CG Life invited me to be their host for this short series on sales enablement. My guests today are Alan Findlater, Chief Commercial Officer at BioIVT. Welcome, Alan. Yeah, good afternoon, Chris. And Jeremiah Wirth, VP of Digital Marketing at CG Life. Jeremiah, good to talk to you again. Great to talk to you again, Chris. Just to set the stage, the goal here is to focus on the evolving sales process and consumer expectations or needs. The market today is fragmented into short-term interest and longer-term opportunities. Companies would like to respond to both in a way that is more personal and less transactional. So let's talk about how marketing and technology are being utilized to help sales teams better engage, convert, and drive revenue. Alan, I'm going to start with you. From your perspective, how has the sales process within the biotech industry evolved over the past five or 10 years? Yeah, so it's evolved a, a lot uh, over that time period. Uh, I mean, get into that period about 10 years ago. I mean, those were the halcyon days uh, of, of the biotech industry, you know, and, and the days of uh, end user scientists purchasing decisions. Uh, there were no procurement guys in the way in those days. Uh, there was not so much enterprise decision making. Uh, and really, I mean, nowadays, sellers really have to look at a wider decision making unit uh, and a much broader audience to actually influence. So there's a lot more to be done there. And, and a lot of that work that was done uh, the challenger sale is really really quite relevant and uh, the whole business the business selling process has taken on a new dimension uh, in the light of the internet and you know we've got a more informed buyer before salespeople go to visit a buyer nowadays they've done the research you know and uh, there are many companies still miss out on that uh, you can't go into a client anymore and ask the you know the inane question what keeps you up at night because guess what they've done the research on the internet already They've researched you, they've researched your competitors, they know your value proposition, they know your competitor value proposition. So the ramification of that, uh, you know, for the individual sales guy is that he really has to be very prepared when talking to the customer in terms of positioning his value proposition. Uh -huh. the, other, the other trend that we've seen is the professionalization of procurement. Uh, in, in this space and uh, in two fronts. So obviously the, the bigger pharma companies really are bringing in prof professional procurement staff and working on you know procurement strategies. Uh, many of those bigger companies have now got CPOs reporting in the, into their finance group really looking to reduce costs. But something that's often overlooked is that with the patent cliffs that a lot of the big farmers themselves saw, with the cascade uh, of talent from those big organisations to small biotech, in um, the biotech world, uh, there are a lot of ex-big pharma people there nowadays. So the professionalisation of procurements even happened in those smaller companies, which means that talking and negotiating with those guys becomes much more demanding. Clients themselves are more questioning, uh, they're more demanding. We're certainly seeing you know, science and business is much more intertwined uh, in terms of how they make the decisions. Uh, so the ramifications for selling and marketing is complex decision-making unit, multiple value propositions, clear segmentation around how uh, things are positioned with respect to those different audiences that need to be reached. You mentioned customers being really prepared and the addition of procurement. Is there anything else on the customer side that you notice a change with respect to their expectations during the buying process? 
Yeah, well, 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 certainly, you know, in, in this in this COVID period, we've been experiencing, um, when I say customers have been much more demanding, that I would say that they're looking to be much quicker to purchase. So what we're experiencing there is that because clients are working from home, um, and particularly administrative people instead of in the labs, uh, they, they're expecting much more rapid turnaround times and quotes. Uh, they're expecting uh, much more, how could I put it, uh, um, uh, much more detailed deliveries. So if they've got their scientists only in the lab two to three days a week, guess what? You can't just deliver any time and, and hope that and hope that it lands. You've actually got to deliver product when the customer's actually there. So there's a number of other knock-on effects that we've seen there um, yeah, over the past year that we've had to address. Jeremiah, you've worked with a number of clients in biotech over the last decade. What have you seen in terms of the evolution between sales and marketing? I've seen the slow evolution of trust between sales and marketing have to evolve. Um, 10 years ago, there was a lot more work done by the sales team uh, around ideas, right? Biotech was bringing a lot of good ideas out there, but the execution was in earlier phases. Now, 10 years in, you're seeing a lot more of these ideas now being actualized. They're in the marketplace. They're in the clinician's hands. They're having an effect. So you're no longer trying to sell ideas, but you're trying to sell the advantages. And you have multiple proof points and opportunities to be able to really go out there and validate a lot of the things that 10 years ago, the salespeople were putting out there as ideas. Alan did a great job of laying out how much more educated the audiences are now. So when the sales teams are starting to talk with some of these uh, candidates or opportunities that they have, they're not going in blind. And so the marketing materials that people are reading before they're interacting with the sales team or after that initial interaction are part of that sales process now too, in a way before where it was more either raising awareness or trying to make some sort of connection to get them to the salesperson to talk more. The sales process includes the marketing materials now in a way that are much more influential than they were 10 years ago. Alan, what sales or marketing strategies have you seen work effectively to identify and engage with buyer intent? Yeah, I don't think that's changed, you know, from a core marketing perspective. I've always been a strong proponent of segmentation, targeting and positioning. And if you get that right, right at the beginning, everything else falls into place. You know, it's as relevant today as it's ever been. And honing a tight value proposition for a homogeneous target audience, you know, never, never grows old. Um, and that all has to be based on, you know, voice of the customer. You, you can't listen to customers enough. And I don't know the modern marketing words for it, but marketing research, developing insights, uh, understanding intimately what customers are looking for and organizing content, messaging, sales calls around that, you know, continues to be extremely, extremely successful. On the selling side, I think I think the world has moved away uh, from the feet pounding the pavement approach, and, and I think it has to. And the oft the oft used word nowadays is omni omni channel strategy, and we've started to go down that route where we've had ourselves a sales team which has been uh, very much more a classical field sales team. But as we look to segment our customers, working with our marketing team and understanding their intimate needs and challenging ourselves with the question, how does the customer want to transact with us? It actually changes the way you look at things. So, you know, as we look at our big pharma clients or the big CROs, uh, you can't approach them anymore uh, today uh, with a pound the pavement approach. Uh, and coordinating that, understanding uh, how they make their decisions globally, uh, our biggest one, for example, uh, they, they now have 
have their own chief procurement officer. They've now got global procurement strategies uh, that we've got to buy into. Uh, so at one end of the omni-channel scale, you know, key account management and uh, organising that using strategic account management skills becomes very, very important. Uh -huh. Moving kind of, kind, of, kind of down the continuum uh, as you get to digital marketing, I think there's a lot of implications there for business nowadays. And we've seen, you know, a number of portals, certainly in, in our healthcare space, like scientist.com and Science Exchange, interface uh, between us and customers to make things easier for their customers as well. But that digital experience for customers uh, becomes very, very important too, because some small customers don't really want a big arrangement or, or engagement with you. Uh, and how, and how we deal with those guys in the digital world is something that's important. So we've embraced and we've been implementing over the past few months our own e-commerce strategy. So, you know, it uh, makes sounds a bit cliched, but all the way from that e-commerce part uh, to key account management, we are certainly stretching our own account channel strategy and rather being focused on the one, uh, we're doing it across the board. And, and again, that plays right into my initial uh, comment around segmentation, targeting and positioning, uh, taking a, a one-dimensional approach in, uh, now nowadays uh, doesn't doesn't get you where you need to be because there's so many different ways customer can interface with us and so many different needs that they have uh, with respect to you as a supplying organization generally speaking there doesn't seem to be a uniform definition or an accepted set of practices on sales enablement I, I get the sense that this is kind of a new sort of area or at least it, it seems to be growing momentum in that direction how would you define sales enablement to a member of your marketing team? It's, it's, it's an interesting one because I mean, sales enablement, you know, is a new term for something we've been doing for a long time, you know, and and it's an interesting one because you know the you know traditionally marketing have often been thought of as salesforce support, you know, a, a brochure and adv advertising company. And uh, my own background is actually marketing, so I, I've been on the receiving end of that for for many years uh, early in my career. But for me, this links back to my last answer as well. So the process, so to me, it's you know the process of understanding customer segment needs and wants. That's where you start. It doesn't start with the sales team and their brochure needs. It starts with understanding the customer and having insights around the customer, you know, from my perspective. Uh, to me, it's around coordinating and communicating with the sales team. And, and again, that, that feeds back to what, uh, what Jeremiah was just saying around, you know, sales and, and, and marketing relationships and how they work together nowadays. Uh, if you look at, you know, the, the core sales, sales effectiveness drivers, uh, coordination and communication at the sales marketing interface is, is a critical one. And there is so much value can be driven there by doing that. So, so to me, enablement is, is partly to do with that as well. So it's not just about approaches and tools to close more deals. It's about the process of doing that and how close marketing and sales work together to do that. Understanding that with new technologies, and with new communications techniques, there's a much broader communications message and, and uh, platform that you can provide to your customers. Yeah, it's exciting to see how sales and marketing are finally, as, as Jeremiah mentioned, trusting each other and really the tools are there to make it easier for them to work together. <laughs> Alan's waving his hand at me like, oh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Jeremiah, from an agency perspective, how are biotech clients addressing sales enablement in terms of strategy? So they're looking at it differently than they would have last year or the year before because they've been forced into a situation where sales enablement has been something they've had to do. 
this year as people are working remotely and working for some of these places. And I, I'm sure we'll get into the impact COVID's had later on. But I think right now, when you're looking at sales enablement from a strategy perspective, you, as Alan pointed out, remove yourself from the equation and look at your customers. And so how do you deliver a consistently refined and high quality customer experience across all of your different touch points? And when you start there, when you can make sure that all of your marketing elements, your website, all of your emails, all of the ads you have, the webinars you're running, your salespeople, you're not only saying the same things, but you're presenting everything with the same level of quality and care across the whole customer experience. It adds uh, a level of validation to your organization. It adds a level of professionalism, but more importantly, it's just consistent across the board so that people always know who they're going to be working with and the level that they hold themselves to and what they can then expect as they engage with you moving forward. I think one of the interesting parts of this is that when you start getting everyone working together from a strategic perspective and through the execution, you're going to be getting more teams involved, more people involved, more tools involved. And when they all come together, you've created a well-oiled machine that's going to start to be able to produce results and going to be able to start to give you data points then to be able to use to help strategically plan your next steps, what's working, what isn't. That data validation is going to help the sales team believe that the marketing that they've heard is going to work or isn't going to work, the effect it's having, and allow them to trust in that a little bit more. At the same time, it allows the marketing team then to be able to make adjustments, to be able to adjust to better support the salespeople where they see there is engagement and interest from the audiences that the sales team is trying to reach. So I think this goes back to strategy and execution, and it's just a consistent cycle that everyone needs to pay attention to, but it can help really drive a lot of powerful campaigns, uh, again, with the data to support it. What would you say are the most common kinds of sales enablement initiatives uh, being taken on by your clients, for example? I think everyone is starting right now with either CRMs or marketing automation systems. They want to be able to get a, a leverage tools that many of them have already had in place to be able to help build out and uh, reach out to those audience personas or segmentations that they have, how they can better target them and the positioning for each of those groups. So again, echoing what Alan said earlier. So they're trying to use existing data and information that they have to be able to help power them forward there. I think that they allows them to then be able to see, are there gaps in their marketing for these uh, different campaigns to these different personas? Are there things they need to do to be able to reach out? Right now, this last year, the sales team, a lot of things they would have done in person, a lot of their old reliable tactics weren't available to them this year. So was there a need for different marketing materials to help fill those gaps to be able to maintain that personal relationship in a digital way or using marketing channels to be able to reach out to some of these audiences that normally they would see at conferences or conventions. There's a lot of ways to go at this. Alan, I'm gonna make you pick a favorite. What would you consider uh, among these to be the most important for sales enablement? And the list is communication, content, tools, and training. 
Yeah, so so to to again to align with my other answers and uh, be boring about it, I, I would certainly go for communication. But I always link that with coordination. You know, it's uh, communication itself is usually a symptom, but communication and coordination to me is critical. And creating you know complementarity at this at the sales marketing interface to me is, is what it's about. And so that's where customer understandings generated by sales guys doing sales calls, speaking with uh, my, my marketing managers, helping them understand that better, with my marketing folks. Do uh, different kinds of research and gain insights, and it's that interplay that makes it work. Uh, that's where the ideas flow from. Um, from there, all the other things to me are really e e e execution tactics. But to, to really make this work, it's uh, and I think Jeremiah said the same thing earlier. You know, coordination, communication, sharing customer feedback, uh, you know, understanding what's needed there. I mean, that's the root of it. Yeah, I can imagine the other three things on that list without communication kind of fall flat. So, yeah. um, Jeremiah, how do different clients lean on different things with respect to tools and content? So I think the answer obviously is going to change for every one of our clients. And I think it always starts with identifying what the actual problem is they're trying to solve for before looking at content and tools specifically. We have a lot of clients who have come to us and say, we have this platform, we have this tool, or we have this campaign content here. How should we use it? And we always try to reverse engineer at that point and say, there's a lot of different things you can do. What should you be doing? What does success look like for you and your organization? And I think that when we look at how they're applying it, it is going to be unique in so many different ways for their unique uh, challenge. I think that the one thing that is consistent coming out of the application of this and the results of this is that now we are seeing uh, a larger trust in the data that's coming in. And a lot of the decisions that are being made, either initially, but more likely once campaigns kick off, is in data-driven strategies and decisions. So now people are able to be able to collect a lot more information on how your campaigns are performing, specifically within the digital areas, to allow you to be able to see what you need to do. Were your assumptions correct? Were the, the team's concerns valid? Or were your, was your audience looking for something different? But being able to use that data uh, as an important decision maker or to help validate the decisions you're going to make moving forward in a way that you may not have done before because you didn't have the time, it wasn't part of your process. You know, right now you've had to start trusting different resources than you have in the past just because of the way that our working environments have changed. And I expect that now that people have started to absorb that into their current processes, we're gonna see that stick around and become um, a more familiar part of a lot of processes we work with our clients moving forward. Yeah, I've heard uh, somebody say that COVID is not so much an agent of change as an accelerator. And in terms of that, Alan, I'm curious how you think sales enablement has changed during COVID. So what changes have you seen in the relationship between your marketing and sales team over the past what are now almost 10 months? Oh, a lot. No, a lot, a lot. You know, I kind of epitomized uh, marketing earlier as, as Salesforce support. And we've got a very talented team uh, in, in our organization, but a lot of it was, uh, a lot of what they were doing was kind of passive, kind of brochure support, webinars, you know, those kind of passive things. And if anything, you know, what's, what COVID's done is it's certainly brought, not so much marketing, but 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 it's brought, it's brought those techniques and um, those strategies to the fore. In a world where the field 
field sales team are not able to do field uh, field visits with their customers, it changes things quite considerably. When that's been the the channel that you've been focusing on for for all of the company's life, you know, shit, what are we gonna? Oh, pardon my language. Uh, what what are we gonna, what are we gonna do? Um, you know, we had a parallel thing going on. You know, I mentioned to you earlier we were doing we were pulling together an, an e-commerce strategy, working with an external consultant. A lot of what we do was pretty standardised product, and to do that, we've had to redesign our website. Um, we've had to, you know, design it for for e-commerce in, in engagement. So it's all e-commerce enabled now. So very different how we can do things there. We're working in the behind the scenes there with Algolia, which gives us a whole lot of different search capabilities in that part of it. So when you start marrying the two of those things, you really uh, get get a, a whole new uh, plethora of ideas starting to bubble up. So as we spoke with our sales teams and as we came to this around July time, uh, we get thinking. I get, I get a number of teams together together, you know, and thinking about what does our kind of next normal look like, you know, to use that McKinsey kind of uh, word that they're using, you know, what does it look like? Uh -huh. And we tried to build on that. And one of the sales leaders came in and he said, hey, you know, it's uh, this is about email to engagement. So that's what we've called our program. And, uh, and and the reason we called it that is we were having a discussion around you no know, complicated emails, you know, emails that are a lot more uh, involved. And well, well, not really. I still want to engage with clients remotely. Huh? I still want to find a way to do that. It still doesn't mean you become inside sales to do that. So we've been trying to push towards email to engagement. So so if anything, you know, COVID has uh, uh, catalyzed that strategy, uh, and we're looking at remote selling from that perspective. Uh, we've developed a fantastic customer engagement tool. Uh, uh, alongside uh, along with uh, CG Life who've helped us a lot along the way there as well and then e-commerce capability and here we are a few months in and we're seeing convergence of all of that you know so it's not a matter of the sales team and the the, the enablement piece and the e-commerce piece uh -huh. you know when I talked to you about omni-channel strategy we, we, we are now seeing a whole number of uh, a whole seeing the business very very differently you know as we as we go forward and it's, uh, it's if anything it's accelerated their digital thinking and the next normal is going to be so much more digital, all generated uh, by COVID. And uh, I think you commented yourself earlier, Chris, about you know accelerated things, uh, no, no doubt. And it's uh, I don't think without COVID, I don't, I don't think we'd be thinking that. We are, I think we'd still be pounding the pavement, uh, doing face-to-face -face sales calls and doing things that way, doing webinars and all the rest of it. Uh, and uh, with those different digital elements that we've been kind of developing and toying with, has uh, brought all of that to the fore. Um, so, so COVID and has, has made has had a big impact on our business and an impact for the good. Jeremiah, how have your clients adapted during COVID? Do you have any success stories that we can learn from? Yeah, our clients have been extremely malleable, flexible, and um, open to a lot of new avenues that they probably wouldn't have explored earlier, just out of necessity. And I think we've seen a change over the last few months. I think when COVID started, you know, in Q2, people were looking for answers. People were saying, I have this platform. I have these resources. I have these tools. Can I do anything with these to replace the sales team I no longer have on the road or the conference I'm not going to be able to attend? I think the last couple of months, people have been coming with a better understanding of what the tools can do and the advantages that it's given their organizations and are looking to weaponize their sales team using these and to be able to make sure that their marketing reach is going to be as broad as it can be in a way that they didn't understand a few months ago. And so you're seeing the evolution of the, the thinking through this time. And I think that a lot of smart organizations right now are starting to realize that things that have been put into place because of 
the uh, situation we're in right now with the pandemic, these are going to be the new norms. These are going to be some things that are going to stay adapted as the world moves back into the quote unquote new normal again. And so I, I'm excited to see people specifically within the digital area start to see the and understand the advantages that this provides for them, the way that they can now do uh, targeting in a way that they weren't able to with traditional sales channels before, ways that they can reach larger audiences or very specific targeted audiences as they need. And so I think the understanding has evolved quickly over the last few months. Again, the word accelerant that you used earlier is very applicable here. When we talk about clients who've had success, I'm not saying this because he's sitting on the other side of this camera from me, but BioIVT and the work that they've done over the last year, I think has been a wonderful example of someone who has quickly identified the issues that they're going to have, tried to figure out what, what challenges they're truly solving for, and using the tools at their disposal to be able to create opportunities for them that weren't there before. We were fortunate enough to work with their marketing team closely and talk with their sales team as well about how they were able to use their existing marketing automation, CRM, webinar software to be able to create a really, really smart, tight marketing package that allowed them to both be able to better reach these audiences, but to be able to make their sales team part of the process. So not only were we able to be able to adapt their marketing channels there, we were able to set up webinars and landing pages that had links to real people on the other end. So as their audiences that they were out uh, interacting with, trying to get engagement with, were finding these events, they weren't just hitting a chat bot. They weren't just getting an email link. They were getting links to schedules for their sales team to set up calls. The chat bots were there, but there were real people on the other ends of them. So being able to still maintain and build the relationships that are so important to the sales process through these digital channels. Just because you weren't able to be there face-to-face doesn't mean you still can't have that personal relationship. So they were able to really not only build out a really strong marketing plan and campaign, they were able to then make sure that once they got that engagement, they had real people there ready to engage with the audiences that were going there so that they were still able to create that personal engagement. Yeah, it sounds like, Alan, obviously it sounds like you've made the acceleration or the the leap to hyperspace. Are there any trends that are going to stick around? It sounds like much of this is going to stick around in your long-term future. Are there any that surprise you or that you are particularly happy to have pulled forward because of COVID? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple for sure. Uh, I mentioned last time and, and Jeremiah um, socialized this as well. The, the whole thing around the customer enablement platform or engagement platform, you know, that, that CG Life had put together with us. And uh, well, to begin with, I was looking at that as a r- remote selling tool. You know, it's just a way for the sales team to engage when, because they couldn't engage face-to-face with clients. But it has morphed into so much more. And uh, I'll give you some examples around that. You know, we can use it for one-to-one meetings. Uh, we can use it for seminars. Um, There's a tremendous seminar we did when we pioneered it um, for one of our products, user group meetings, uh, over 100 participants and with all the relevant salespeople there, you know, their their history and and their their, their roles were there on the site. We had live chat capability there. We had uh, links uh, to other products related, you know, to the the core meeting. It was just, I mean, again, in the old days, we used to call it multimedia, you know, Uh, this undoubtedly was, you know, um, so many different channels and ways 
and you know as Jeremiah said too, you know links you know to uh, the individual sales teams uh, and their their, their uh, calendars. Now that same user group meeting we had done the prior year in Boston. Again, the the product that we have, we had uh, we had licensed it of MIT, so it'd been kind of Boston focus. Attendance was always very very good, but taking it online, supersized attendance, we were able to have European uh, attendance and our European sales folks there and customer services folks there. You know as part of that whole community and you know that enablement tool helped us do that so how we use that and how we extend the use of that certainly is going to stick with us and then the other thing we've not got to yet but but, but something uh, something my, my digital manager and my VP of marketing have been looking at before although they didn't call it that when they spoke to me before is the whole concept of account-based marketing which can be done through marketing automation tools. Now, we'd embarked last year, one of our core strategies last year was strategic account management. So I've been socializing that within my own organization, bedding it down. Uh -huh. If you then look at that, at one end of the omni-channel scale, uh, strategic account management, and you link it to these kinds of technologies, marketing automation, uh, you know, targeting individual decision makers within an account, building a, a virtual account plan for that account. If you think of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world, uh, now, you know, we've got five or six separate uh, products and services that link into all of these guys. There's a whole new different way that we can manage that using marketing automation technology uh, and using, you know, this kind of a uh, customer enablement platform. Um, so I think that it, it will enable our reach in ways that we couldn't do through field-to-field -field selling. And, and we've seen a high degree of customer receptivity uh, towards working this way. And I think the literature says that as well. Um, I was reading a, a survey uh, a couple of weeks ago from McKinsey. Uh, that was saying that more than 60% of business-to-business -business buyers were comfortable working uh, digitally. And that survey said that they didn't see those things turning back. So I think there's a number of implications that come from that kind of survey and, and the kind of techniques that we've discussed today and, and the kinds of strategies that we've discussed today, you know, I think will really come into their own uh, over the next two to three years. For sure, there's a, there's a, a myriad of ways that, that we can manage our customers in ways that we couldn't before. This has all been very uh, informative and I'm sure is going to be helpful for a lot of people. Jeremiah, what's the one thing you hope people walk away from this podcast and don't forget? You know, I think as we look back at this last year, we've crossed a threshold from the way that we look at sales and marketing, working together, the trust between those two different sides. And I think that no one likes being uncomfortable, but sometimes being uncomfortable is the quickest way to find growth. And I think that this year, as we look at any silver linings we can take from whatever 2020 threw at us, is that being uncomfortable caused people to do things that they normally wouldn't. And I think they're starting to see dividends from taking some of these chances and being able to utilize some of the tools that they've always known were there, but maybe didn't want to trust in. And this year that they were forced to use, and now they're starting to see how it is able to help support their sales team. Uh, how they're able to be able to unite sales and marketing, and also how it's going to produce data that's going to be able to allow you to better serve the audiences that you're trying to engage with, being able to make sure that you have data to support the success or lack thereof of some of the marketing campaigns and assumptions that you've made. Uh, and at the end of the day, to be able to just understand the ROI that you have from your marketing and sales uh, campaigns that you you're have out there in the marketplace. And so I think that I expect I would anticipate that over the next couple of years, we're going to look back here and say, this is the year that everyone started to embrace a lot of these different marketing platforms and channels. 
and we're able to be able to see how it really did produce dividends to companies' bottom lines, especially as they start to uh, consistently use them uh, once the world gets back to whatever the new normal is going to look like. Yeah, so besides the good news around vaccines lately, it's nice that uh, there's some good news around marketing too. So Alan Finlater and Jeremiah Wirth, I want to thank you both for taking the time to chat with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks so much. You bet.